0: I want to also suggest a memory verse for you, and I'm going to tell you why I do that. Uh, sometimes I have a hard time when I get up. The devil works on me, and uh, I don't, it doesn't happen all the time, but uh, about two weeks ago, several times when I got up, I just felt this tremendous sense of dread, and I, I, I knew what a great sinner I was and didn't know if I could meet the challenges of the day. And so I just—I uh, was okay after I got moving, got in God's Word, but I don't know whether the devil works on you that way or not. But God gave me a verse that I usually quote, First thing in the morning, it gets me out of the doldrums pretty quickly, and I want to recommend you think about this, and I want to preach about it tonight. That's over in Jude. Of course, that's just one book of Jude, verses 24 and 25, the last two verses. Now, to him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Now, I usually try to quote that two or three times, and I get my heart warmed up pretty quickly. So I recommend those doxologies like Jude uh, 24 and 25. There are lots of doxologies in the Bible. And, you know, we well to live a life full of doxology because that means words of praise, literally words of praise, doxology. And I've mentioned this before a lot of times. The Apostle Paul uh, was given to doxology. He, now, I'm not saying he was jumping up and down and shouting all the time. I don't intend for you to do that. But the way praise ought to be in our lives, it ought to be like a river that maybe runs underground. It's always running, and every now and then it erupts up. Uh, you can see it on the surface. And that's the way Paul went. He's writing on a letter, and he can, like, I didn't mention Colossians this morning and other letters. And he's mentioned some doctrine on and just suddenly he bursts into praise. That's the way we ought to be trying to live. So I hope tonight that as I go through these virtues, and I won't, the half of I have been told when I get through, I know that's the truth. Several sermons could be preaching this also. I'm only preach one. But I'm going to preach on this, Lord willing. Uh, now, to him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Let's talk about keep you from falling. He's not talking about you're going to live a perfect life. God's children are prone to sin. We should not be, but we are. If you think you can keep yourself from falling, you make a mistake. God is the one. He keeps us from falling. We have a responsibility to live for God, but in the long run it's the God who preserves us and He makes us willing. He make, we, we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling only because it's God working in you with the will and to do with His good pleasure. If you ever forget that you're in for a fall. He said over in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, I think it is, take heed when you think you stand, let you fall. I know a lot of people who have fallen, myself have fallen sometimes into some sin. Uh, because I got overconfident. That's what happened to David no doubt. I don't think he committed that sin of Bathsheba on the part of the moment. I think that had been brewing for a long time. He was probably getting kind of cold. And so even a great man in the Bible like Peter who had a man of tremendous courage. Uh, but he began to trust him on himself so he fell temporarily. And even Abraham the father of the faithful is amazing. that He's the only the father of the faithful yet on two occasions he let his wife be uh, compromised to a man's harem because he's trying to save his own skin. That's so you, we we don't need to thank God. Listen, I've said this lots of times. God it takes God to get us saved, and friend, it takes God to keep us saved. We need to walk the of close to God. But I want to give you some encouragement, though. Of if you're a child of God, you're never going to fall completely, in the sense that you're going to lose your salvation and make total shipwreck of the faith. You won't do that. You may make some grievous mistakes. I hope you won't. We need to fight against that, but we need to have the confidence that we're not going to fall. He said this now to him. Able to keep you from falling. Let's look at that clause just for a moment. I'll well, mention several scriptures. How about Philippians 1.6? I just mentioned a few scriptures now on that he is able and will keep us from falling. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. That's that verse has done me a lot of good a lot of times. Because when you do sin, the devil is a dirty fighter. He's a liar. And when you get cold away from God like we do sometimes... He'll say, look, you're never going to make a comeback. You might as well just go ahead and wall in it. Don't even try to repent. So, we need to get the sword of the Spirit out and stick it to the devil. And quote one figure. I mean affliction of check to him. Paul said, being confident of this very thing that he, which had he got any good work in you, that was in regeneration. He did a lot of work for us before we got born again. But in us, now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to... Uh, he'll perform for the day of Jesus Christ. I won't try to quote it again. All right? Let's look at a few more scriptures. These are all me, great scriptures. John 17, I love, the, I love that high priestly prayer. That's us turn into one of my favorite passages in John chapter 17. I'm going to read you just two verses out of there. Jesus Christ is praying to his Father. And he's praying out loud on purpose because he wants his people to hear that. He said that in verse 13. He is praying out loud on purpose. He wants us to hear uh, him pray for us. And remember, he who is praying to the Father is praying for you today. See, he ever liveth to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus Christ is praying for you. You know, if you're one of his children, he's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He's an advocate for you. And the Lord God, the Father, always hears his prayers. We need to think about that. Because these are weapons we can use against Satan, against our own self. But over in John 17, <clears throat> I'll read you a couple of verses here in the high priestly prayer. And of course, our Lord speaking, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. He's praying for the Father, God the Father. I'm to go I've been with them for three and a half years. Is my disciples? I'm fixing to lead. I've kept them. I'm asking you to keep them. Then verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest me, I've kept. None of them is lost. But there's not perdition. The scriptures might be fulfilled. So all the children of God that He was praying for, He kept them, and He's gonna also keep us. So remember that. I love that, don't you? He ever liveth. Make intercession for us, he's praying for us, and God the Father always hears. Now, isn't that amazing? See, I said today that Christianity is not a theoretical religion. Many religions are philosophical religions, all kinds of Eastern religions, especially philosophical religions. Their ideas, well, my friend, this is a historical religion. It's based on facts, not just philosophy. You might can draw some philosophy from the facts, but we're not a philosophical religion, we're a historical religion. Christ actually did rise from the dead, he actually did die the atoning death. Actually, does right now work with us. The Holy Spirit works with us. I didn't mention that scripture again today. If I leave, I'll leave. I won't leave you comfortless. That word is orphanous in the Greek. I won't leave you an orphan. I'm going to send a, a light comfort, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And He's with us. That's a historical fact. We need to rem- remember that. It's not just some kind of mental ascent. We don't come to hear a lecture, we care to hear a sermon. We don't just read some essay, even though they're okay to read an essay. We read the Holy Word of God. That's the truth. So let's remember that. We've got to keep being reminded of the wonderful thing God has given us. Also, let's go to John chapter 10. And I'm just still commenting on the fact that uh, He's able to keep us from falling. John 10, 27 through 30. Wonderful verses. Wonderful verses. I remember I was here a long time ago, but I want to be fresh to me. Wonderful verses. Again, our Savior speaking. My sheep hear my voice. If we are one of God's children, have been born again, especially, we do hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My friend, we do follow him. Not perfectly, but we follow him. If we are a child of God, we can follow the Father. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. We got a lot of enemies that would like for us to perish. You know what our enemies are. We've heard of these many times. I'll just categorize them under three categories. Satan is our enemy. He's a real enemy. That's another historical fact. He's an enemy. He see- he's seeking whom he may devour, said him Peter. He wants to b- devour us. He wants to devour your life. He wants to devour every marriage here, every church, every society. He want- he's seeking to devour us. So Satan's an enemy. And this world sets him as an enemy. John said, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. All this in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of eyes, the pride of life, and not the thought of the world." So we get the world system against us, and it's increasingly becoming apparent how much the world system is against Christians. It's always been that, but we've had a real wonderful time in the United States to live in a Judeo-Christian culture, and uh, it's changed dramatically in my lifetime, because I'm an old man now, pretty old. But it's changed dramatically. You kids can't imagine what it's like when I was a boy. You talk about Bible reading in the schools? We, in our home room we had Bible reading. We had prayer in our schools. I remember on Christmas time I always was awed. I was Hawaii, went to White Station for three years, had a ride a school bus. And so we out in the foyer, had a gigantic family Bible out there. Turned to Luke chapter 2 on Christmas. I used to go up there and just read that. You can't do it anymore. My friend, we're, the culture is increasingly becoming hostile. I'm not trying to discourage you. It's just a matter of fact, we can make it many times in the history of the world. Most of the time, in fact, the world has been openly hostile to true Christianity. But they've made it. In fact, in the early centuries, when the first church first got it started, the world was incredibly hostile to Christianity. The Jews hated the Christians, and the Roman government hated the Christians. So the Romans wanted them to worship, that the, the emperor worship was part of Roman worship. And they thought the Christians were being disloyal if they would not worship the emperor. They, they, many of them died because they would not say the emperor is God. They were good citizens, like we ought to be good citizens. They're the best citizens they had in the Roman Empire, but they didn't have enough sense to realize that. Just like right now, true Christians are the best asset our country's got, even though they may not recognize that. But the point I'm making is we have enemies, we have our, the, the devil, Satan, our, the world, and our own flesh. That may be the worst one of all. You know, if we're born again, we still, you struggle every day. The minute you're born again, the struggle starts. The civil war starts. The flesh left us against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. that are contrary to one to the other. So you cannot do the thing that you would. But we've got to fight that good fight of faith. And if we're born again, we will fight that good fight of faith. Sometimes we may have a little uh, lapse. But my friend, then by God's grace, we come to repentance and we recover. But I want to encourage you. So anyway, let's keep reading here. I give unto him eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them, me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Oh, what comforting scriptures. He's able to keep us from falling. First Peter 1.5. We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We're kept, guarded, isn't that wonderful? By the faith that God puts in our hearts. See, it said in 1 John 5, 4. So whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It's a God given gift given to regeneration. It's a real thing, my friend. Faith is real. It's real. Is that sixth sense, you might say, that causes you to believe in the Lord, trust His word, and uh, you know what? Uh, okay. Here I am getting kind of cold, spiritually, I'll say. I don't get cold all the time, don't get me wrong, but I do. I, I do. Here I am getting kind of cold, getting discouraged, and I go to church, I hear a sermon, and something inside of me, something in my very inside says, Amen, I'm revived. You know why? Because when God calls you to be born again, the same truth in this Bible He wrote in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And you identify with that, and it'll never die. You know why it won't die? Here's our prayer warrior again, our precious Savior. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift this wheat. He gave Peter his personal attention. I doubt he'd ever given me his personal attention. He may have. I don't think so. He got a lot of demons he, that mess with me. He gave Peter, he gave Peter, he put all the big guns of hell out on Peter, my friend. He desired, but Peter's faith elapsed, but it didn't fail. You know why Christ said, Peter, Satan has desired to sit here week. I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and not when, and even not if, when, when thou converted, drink them thy brethren. So Peter bounced back on the day of Pentecost and preached that great, wonderful sermon. Isn't that glorious? So if you get down, you'll bounce back by the grace of God. Just run to God, my friend, and grab a hold of Him. I love that. And then I guess my favorite of all, I guess I can quote it, I'll try to quote it. If not, I'll turn to it, but I think I can quote it. I love it so much. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. I'm persuaded. And that word persuaded, here here we have the perfect tense. And we can, do This a line, a dot, and a line. The line is you're in a process of coming to a conclusion. The dot is when the conclusion has been reached. And then the other line is the permits, their permanent results. So Paul said, I've thought about this. Come to a conclusion. Those conclusions remain. I'm persuaded. And he gets the first, the worst enemy first. The worst enemy is death, isn't it? I'm persuaded neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? That's the kind of thing we need to go to sleep on, isn't it? If you don't count sheep, you should count them. That's all right. But I'd rather really count me a few scriptures, wouldn't you? we got things we can, Listen. I'm going to say it again. That guy on the radio one time, I heard this. And man, it did me so much good. He said, folks, are you worried? You can't sleep? He said, don't worry. Go on to sleep. You're safe. God's got the night watch. And my friend, he still, he got the day watch and the night watch both. Next time you get worried, God, he he got the night watch. He, he the keeper of Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep, the Bible says. Now, to him that is able to, keep you, to prevent you faultless before his presence sitting exceeding joy. Now, I've got, I'm have got. i not going to read all these. I keep this with my Bible all the time. I'm so thrilled with this. It, it's, it's it's impossible to, to conceive. He pre- prevents us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. God hates sin. He can't even count the sin. He doesn't at all. Has no fellowship with sin. He did purize than to observe sin and kind of look on iniquity. That's a, kind of a loose paraphrase over in Habakkuk. We just need to get a concept of how bad sin really is. Paul said in Romans 7, sin became exceedingly simple to him. It needs to be exceedingly simple to us. Sometimes it's not with me, I will admit it. I get casual and get careless and sometimes sin doesn't bother me like it ought to. But it ought to bother me a lot. Enough where I try to do the best I can to not sin. John re really meant that in John chapter 2. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Now he really meant that even though he knew we would sin, we ought to try to sin not. If we do sin, however, thank God we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But we ought to hate sin. Uh, the wrath against, God's wrath against sin is, is horrible. You know, I told you when I saw that Messiah volcano over in Nicaragua and it awed me. I, I, that's one of the tempty I'm glad you took me. That's one of the best things that happened to me in Nicaragua. That Messiah volcano still an active volcano. Hadn't erupted in a long time. It's still an active volcano. I looked over the crater, that gigantic crater, saw that sulfur smoke coming up out of there. Saw that liquid lava lake over 2,000 degrees bubbling. At nighttime it flashes. I could just see angels catching sinners into hell. I could just say that. In fact, the conquistadors, when they came over 1500, they called it the gate of hell. That's, what, that's, a, that's a real thing. That's where I deserve to go. But my friend God is able to present me thoughtless before the throne of His glory with exceeding joy. So I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures here and uh, ask God to help us to really meditate on these. And I think the first one I'm going to read is Revelation 14.5. I'll just read a few of these. I've got a whole bunch of them. If you want them I'll give you one of these if you want it. I, got, I, get, I carry this around with me. Talk about the saints in Revelation 14.5. In their mouth was found no guile, for there thou fought before the throne of God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because you know that God's throne, uh, we'll mention over in First Timothy 6, He dwells in the light which no man can approach unto, who no man see nor can see, to whom be honor and power and glory forever and ever everlasting all men. Men can approach to that light. In fact, God's holiness is so great in Second Thessalonians, he goes to destroy his enemies with the brightness of his coming. Well, I just want God to help me see my sins. Not too much now. I ask God, Lord, don't, don't just, just ruin me with them. I've got my dear friend Jimmy Barber one time prayed for God to show him his sins, and he said he had to ask God to let back off. And I would too if I could really see myself like I am. I can't see partly what I am. And I want to see some of like it sometimes. But so I can repent of my sins and thank God for his mercy. You know when you go buy a diamond they say, uh, I haven't melted diamonds lately, but they say that what they do they get a black piece of velvet and put that diamond on there to see the contrast. And we can't really appreciate salvation until we see the blackness of our sins. We can see the wonderful facets of the diamond of salvation when we see in the background of the blackness of our sins. So it's a mercy when God lets us see our sins. He came not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance, didn't He? He said, I came not, to, the whole don't need a physician. Of course, nobody's really whole, they just think they are. He said, I came because some people are sick. And that's the kind of people God calls to salvation. Just one or two more of these. Uh, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. Every word is powerful, isn't it? Let me read that again. Holy, unblameable, unreprovable in His sight. Now to Him that is able to keep you from falling, for you your you for the present of His glory, with exceeding joy. That word exceeding joy, I'm just going to say one thing about it. You know what the literal, what it literally means? In the Greek, to leap for joy. You know over in Luke 6, it talks about that on the Beatitudes, about the blessed people. He said that leap for joy. Leaping for joy. Listen, I've seen you leap for joy sometimes at a basketball or football game. I think some of those Alabama fans were probably leaping for joy until the last minute Nick uh, Saban pulled a rabbit out of the head again. And I've been that excited about a game. Especially my kids are playing. Those last deals and that time over there when old John hit that three-point shot at the last second on a sprained ankle. And I, I heard a yell and a chair hit the floor. Or else I did the yelling at my chair. I got excited, man. Sister Patty, Sister Patty McAvelle, good old mother Israel, just with the Lord a couple of years ago. Good old Sister Patty, watching a University of Michigan game one time, they want you oh, to praise the Lord, praise the Lord. <laughs> Excited. But how long does that excite my life? But friends, our life will be an eternal excitement. Exceeding joy. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I don't know how to pinch myself for a thousand years. I don't know, I'm here. I'm with all redeemed family of God. I'm with Jesus Christ face to face. I have no more worries. There's no more negatives. Exceeding joy. Isn't that wonderful? Can't be better to be experienced than expressed. Now he said to the only wise God our Savior. Let's talk about the only wise God a little bit. He is the only wise. I want to quote. I think I can quote it. If I can't turn to it. Timothy 117. This is another. He told us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally to all men, and breath not, it shall be given them. He's a treasure of wisdom. Sometimes we don't know which way to turn. Young people and old people, but especially young people, look to God for your wisdom. Live by the Word of God. Don't live by what the world's saying. But his Bible is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God will give us His wisdom. He's a fountain of wisdom, an inexhaustible fountain of wisdom. But anyway, 1 Timothy 1.17, down to the King, eternal, immortal, and invincible, the only wise God, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at Romans 16.27, to God only wise, only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. I talked today about what a great book Colossians is. He talked about Colossians being a God-honoring book. It is. Colossians, the most Christological of all Paul's epistles, are all great epistles. But Colossians is the most Christological of all Paul's epistles. And look what he says in Colossians, chapter two, verse three, talking about Jesus Christ, and whom are hid all these treasures of wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and knowledge. You know, when the world goes against God, they really mess up. Let me give you one example. There's all kinds of examples we can give. You can think of a lot too. When we turn from God we make a lot of mistakes. You know the Chinese for a long time that ungodly tyranny had the one child policy. I used to follow that because it grieved me. I used to follow a man named Stephen Moser. A Christian man who was exposing what was going on in China. Forced abortions. Forced infanticide. Population is too big. we got to do something else. We do these draconian measures. And many people were sorrowfully had their children ripped out of their very wounds. Now guess what's one? China is in a, an amazing, look it up, demographic, demographic crisis. Their population is aging. It's aging. They messed up. They're aging. They still got a lot of people, of course. India, by the way, is the most popular nation on earth now, not China. But they're aging. They messed up. And people got used to not having children. They wanted to have children now. Even get subsidies, they're still not having children. Not only that, they aborted the girl babies because the men, they wanted to have boys to carry the family name on. So there's millions and millions more men than women. Not enough to even marry them, stuff like that. Nightmare. And whenever we go against God in any way, we really do mess up. And He's got all the wisdom. So let's live as much as we can by Him. Our country used to live to a great measure, but the wisdom of God, we're not doing that anymore. So, I think the future may be dire. Let's beg God that He will turn it around, and let's be the best Christians we possibly can. And then we'll be an asset to our nation, and a glory to God. But our kids, let's, when God says live a certain way, let's live that way. God says one man, one woman, and marriage till death do us part, that's God's way. It's a wise way to go, the best way to go. Got kid. God said obey your parents that's the best way to go. You know Ernest Hemingway died of suicide. He had a great novelist. Even though I don't like those kind of novels very much. He had a great novelist. He, he, he lived a terrible life. They say he an unbelievable rebel to his parents. He hated his parents. He treated them terribly. And he wound up like, finally committing suicide. We've got to do it God's way. We've got to do it God's way. But i want to talk about his wisdom and Christian for a minute. Let's say this. You know what? One reason why I believe that evolution is pushed so hard that the devil does that because uh, the first thing God wants us to know in the Bible is not He's Redeemer. He wants us to know about that is He's the Creator. We know what the first sentence said in Genesis. In the beginning God created the Heaven and the Earth and then goes on for several chapters and talks about that creation. And then if you'll read the Bible and the next time you read through maybe this next year, I hope you'll read through this year like you ought to every year. I think we ought to do it once a year at least then you look and make a note of all the times that creation is mentioned. You'll be amazed the New Testament and the Old Testament both are interspersed with talking about uh, creation. Because listen, if God can create this earth that means he got so much wisdom and power He can do anything. So we're, we're, we're really hitting at the very image of God, His wisdom and His knowledge, His power, His ability when we deny His creative activity. Now look, Tony Martin, I'm ready for another talk pretty soon. Old Tony's giving some wonderful talks about the intricacies of creation, the incredible intricacies of creation. He's coming up with more all the time. Well, I, I just give you one. <laughs> now, when, I, when I'm in India, I do this, and I, I work it works every time. It's all you got to do. And you guys got to say, well, I don't have to remember too many figures. The moon's 240,000 miles away from the earth. Sun, 93 million miles away. Every time I look at the moon, it's a reflection of the sun. It's like a mirror. It's really the right place, right angle. It's so precise we can predict sunrises, sunsets, all kinds of things, moon phases, years ahead. That's, it. That's a little bitty thing. Everybody knows that. My friend, the atmosphere, they, call, they say we live in the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. Even the secular people say that we live in the Goldilocks zone. Right amount of oxygen uh, right amount of gravity, you just name it. That's just the minor stuff. All, and our bodies, my God, friends, it said it over in Psalm 13914. I will praise thee, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul doth right well. Our eyes, better than any camera ever admitted invented, uh, invented. Mind, no computer. I don't care. Talk about artificial intelligence, it may be a challenge, it will be. My friend, never rival what God put in our minds. Our balance system. I can just go on and on and on. Anyway, I'm going to read you a few scriptures on that. Oh, in Psalm 104, verse 24, O Lord, Psalm 104, verse 24, O Lord, how manifest are thy works? In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. And when they're still discovering them. Isn't it amazing? God leads us without excuse, doesn't he? Now, in, in the last. I don't know, I know the last 30 years there's been a veritable revolution in the world of microbiology. Read some of Michael Behe's books. It's incredible. There's no such thing as a simple cell. You know that? Study it out. The cells, my friend, are marvelous engines. they got engines. they got gears in them. It's it's incredible what's in the cell. And I'm sure we're just touching the hem of the the garment. The the DNA project, the human genome project. But enough information, precise information about our DNA They we'll fill a set of dictionaries, encyclopedias. and if something gets out of whack, we have a Down syndrome baby or something like that. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So in both and the, the macro world, with a different Hubble telescope, and stuff like that, we're seeing stuff we can never even, even dreamed of. So God is leaving us without excuse, because you don't need I'm just preaching to the choir, and I know that. But we ought to thank God, my friend, he, we ought to think about his creative ability. So the next time we go out at nighttime and look at the sky, sky, especially out in the country, we got all these street lights, we can't see much in Memphis. You go out in the country look at those stars and just be it all. I can, no wonder David wrote such great Psalms. Out there keeping those sheep, seeing those stars, uh, that cold, pure air, I can just see him doing it. Practicing that slang so he can take on Goliath. Uh, how, how great it is you know, when I took biology at University of Memphis, I'm not a very good biology student, but I got, I got to appreciate the trees and the the, 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 the leaves fall and the, the, just the, what they, I don't know, the, the, uh, all the things, that the process that God uses, photosynthesis and stuff like that. It's amazing. I guess adults sometimes don't think about stuff like that at all too. One more scripture about that. Look over in Proverbs 3.19. Proverbs 3, the Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth by understanding hath he established the heavens. Oh, what wonderful scriptures to think about. Now, I'm going to close with the doxology. And like I told you, the half has not been told. But I just want to read this to you. A lot can be written about this and preached, but I won't do it. I just want to read it to you and hope I can hurt your appetite. So let me quote, now get a running start and then finish off. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling, to prevent you faultless. Before the throne of his glory, the exceeding glory, to the only wise God be honor and glory, dominion, and power, both now and ever, amen. Well, glory, the word is doxa, which means like a word of praise. Like doxology doesn't mean a word of praise. So he gets all the glory. And over in Isaiah 42 it says, uh, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory will, not, will I not give to another. Then I pray to grab it in images. We can glorify God, pull out all the stuff. You can't, overdo, you can't overdo glorifying God. I can't, yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of hyperbole. I'm kind of excited mind. mine. I'll do it, but that, I'll never do hyperbole when I'm bragging on God. I can't overdo it. I might brag on somebody else to overdo it, but I can't overdo bragging on God. So let's do that in our hearts. you know, like old S.M. Lock, uh, Lockridge, that old guy, the old preacher. That uh, He said, he, he, I heard a sermon he preached one time, not a personally, of course. And he said, how long had it been since you have built a cathedral in your own heart and crowned him in your heart again, King of kings and Lord of lords. We all do that often. Personally, Lord, Lord, you're my king. You're my Lord. I want to glorify you. So glory and majesty. Isn't that word, majesty, a great word? just majestic. And that word means really greatness. As you might To him be the glory and the majesty. And dominion means strength. He's almighty. He's all powerful. He can do whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. And then that word power literally is authority. It's authority. So look at that. To him be glory, he'll be majesty, he'll be dominion, he'll be power. Let me quote it again. And I want you, if you will, memorize that. It'll do you good. And go ahead and memorize what I think you do also. Now to him, able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless, with the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty Dominion and power both now and ever. Let's say a big amen. Hallelujah.